Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, just teach us from your word tonight. We thank you for each one who has come. Uh, We thank you for the desire that this demonstrates that is in their heart to come and to meet with you, to gather around your word and to um, be encouraged from it, to be equipped from it. And indeed, that is our need in this very late hour before your return. We pray that you would help us tonight, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're continuing our studies of Galatians 5 and verse 1. Now, we didn't turn there, but we've been uh, reading that verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And the words in that verse, Christ hath made us free, uh, brought us to these verses in John chapter 8. And what these verses teach us, and it cannot be repeated too often, is that you cannot have freedom without truth. You cannot have freedom without Jesus Christ, the Word living who is the truth, and you cannot have freedom without His Word, the Word of God, the written Word, which is the truth. And so you cannot... I don't care what kind of utopia man tries to build. You cannot have freedom without God and his word. And we've talked about the critical connection between verse 31 and verse 32. This critical connection that is uh, contained, that's provided by the word and, that joins these two verses. If ye continue in my word, not only is that the proof that we are the Lord's disciples indeed. But also, if ye continue in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And what we've been thinking about is the other side of these words. That if you do not continue in God's word, then we will not know the truth, and we will not be free. We've talked in our previous three messages about how this applies to the live climate change. And we are going to talk about that again tonight, except to mention one thing, and that is how the truth about climate change is censored. In our last two messages, we've talked about Nobel Prize winning physicist John Clauser, and I was reading a little article in the Epic Times this week that Mr. Clauser, uh, who was scheduled to speak at the International Monetary Fund, his appearance there was canceled. And the head of the nonprofit that Mr. Clauser is associated with is called the CO2 Coalition. He said that he and other members have been delisted from LinkedIn because of their dissident views on climate change. And so the truth is being suppressed because it exposes 
the agenda of those who are the enemy of freedom. It exposes their agenda of power and control. But tonight I want to go back to something that we mentioned last week. And in fact, in thinking about it, uh, we probably should have started with this, but um, we can't go back now. We said last week that this nation has not continued in the Word of God. And specifically, this nation has not continued in the King James Bible. And the blame for that lies at the feet of the churches of this nation. And it's not the mainline denominations that we're talking about. It lies at the feet of churches that believe and preach the gospel. Churches that claim at least to have a fundamental stand that believe the fundamentals of the faith. Brother Jed sent me an article this week from Brother David Cloud that illustrates exactly what we're going to be talking about tonight. The article dated May 17th of this year is entitled Transitioning Churches Away from the King James Bible. The article comes from a podcast interview with Brian Sams at the Church Advance YouTube channel. David Cloud begins by telling a little bit about Brian Sams. He's pastor of River City Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And David Cloud points out that under this man's leadership, beginning in 2016, that church transitioned from a conservative fundamental Baptist church to a contemporary evangelical church. And according to Mr. Sam's own testimony, after he took the pastorate, he came to a conviction that modern versions such as The New King James, the New American Standard Version, the New or the English Standard Version are to be preferred above the King James Version. He subsequently transitioned his church to the modern versions. And then in his article, Mr. Cloud says this Now he is teaching other pastors. To make the transition. Now I want you to listen to what Pastor Sams says. The reason for me to lead my church in making the transition were twofold. First, I became scripturally convinced about the version issue. Secondly, and this is what was particularly interesting, I thought. Secondly, my children... Honestly, the most important thing to me was my own children. I did not want them growing up in a family where either A, I told them something I didn't believe, or B, forced them to be hypocrites because they could read a new translation but couldn't let anybody else know about it. What am I going to do if I'm in a King James-only church And my kids are reading the English Standard Version. What am I going to tell them? 
you can't tell people at church. To memorize Scripture, you're going to have to go over there and use this King James Version, but at home, you know, you can do this English Standard Version. He says, I just think that duplistic thing creates hypocrisy. It might be easy for us to do, but it isn't easy for kids to swallow. And I'm going to read you a story that he tells. He says, I've told the story many times before, but I believe it's worth repeating. My son was in a Becca homeschooling curriculum back during covid and I was getting my doctorate at the time. This was the spring of 2020. Schools had shut down. And my son was doing homework. One of his homework assignments for his Bible class was to read the story of David and Goliath. And I was kind of excited. I said, man, this is going to be great. I sat down with him to help him with his homework. And he was going to read 1 Samuel 17. And pretty much every other word I'd tell him how to pronounce it, tell him what it means. I'm thinking to myself, wait, I know the whole story almost by memory. You know what word he's struggling with. You've been through this enough. Finally, he asked me this question. Well, Dad, if it means that, why doesn't it just say that? I said, that's a great question, dude. A great question. Now listen to this. From that point forward, my kids never use the King James again in their devotionals. My two older kids are doing their own devotions. They're reading the English Standard Version. This was long before we did this as a church or even on air. Listen to this language. I just said, my kids aren't going to go through this. I guess the King James Bible is something you have to endure. By the time they are 20, this is over. I know my daughter, who's 15 right now, we aren't playing the game anymore. She isn't going to be reading the King James when she's 20. Why not? Because she's been taught not to. She's not. I mean, I don't have the conviction. She doesn't have the conviction. So I did it for my kids. Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute and think about what Pastor Sam's is saying. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it kind of sounds like the final straw for him was when his son was reading the account of David and Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 from the King James Bible. Now I'd like for us to turn back there, if you will. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want to read you again Pastor Sam's words. And pretty much every other word... I'd tell him how to pronounce it, tell him what it means. Every other word. I thought about us reading this chapter to just see the utter nonsense of this statement. 
but that would take too much time. So what I would ask all of us to do is to make 1 Samuel 17 a chapter that we read in our personal devotions this week. To see for ourselves if the statement this man makes is true. Dr. D.A. Waite has written a book that we refer to often, and it should be referred to often. It's called Defending the King James Bible. And he's published the defined King James Bible. It's written there on the front, defined King James Bible. I don't normally preach from this Bible, so I don't know what might fall out of here. Um, And in the defined King James Bible, Dr. Waite gives, as most Bibles do, the order of the books of the Bible. But he does something else that, that I think is just very, very important. He gives the average King James Bible readability level for the whole Bible and for each book. The average readability level for the whole King James Bible is fifth grade, sixth month. Fifth grade, sixth month. And it's interesting in going through and looking at these different readability levels, it's interesting that the lowest readability level in the Old Testament is the Psalms. Third grade, eighth month. I think the Lord has designed it that way so that everyone, even a nine-year-old, can understand psalms like the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And so I don't think it's any coincidence then that the lowest readability level in the New Testament are John's writings. John's gospel is fourth grade, seventh month. Now, that's just like the Lord, I think. To, to make the Psalms the lowest in the Old Testament, where, where children can read, the Lord is my shepherd. And then in, in the progression of their grade from third to fourth, they can come to John's gospel and learn the identity of the shepherd of Psalm 23. They can turn over to John chapter 10 and read verse 11 and read the words of the Lord Jesus where he said, I am the good shepherd. You read about me back there in Psalm 23. It's, it's me. I am. The I am of the Old Testament. The I am of John's gospel. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then they can read Verse 27 and 28 of that chapter. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It's no accident that John's writings would have the lowest readability level so that even a child can read and understand the gospel. John 3.16 For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now I mention these numbers because the readability level of 1 Samuel, uh, the book of 1 Samuel is 6th grade. Not 10th or 11th or 12th or, or college. 6th grade. Now, Pastor Sam doesn't tell us how old his son is. But as you read through these verses, you do not have to have someone pronounce or tell you what every other word means. When you read these first two verses of this chapter, you come across geographical names. Geographical names that that we're not familiar with. But when you read them, it's an opportunity to look at Bible maps. Bible maps of these different time periods. And you can look them up on the map. It's a geography lesson. You see names like Shucko and Ezekah and Ephes Damon and Elah. But here's what's interesting. If you read these verses in the NIV or the ESV, the ESV um, seems to be Pastor Sam's preferred version, you'll find the exact same words. You'll find the exact same geographical locations. So what words did he have to explain to his son? Well, perhaps the word array in verse 2. Maybe the words cubits and span in verse 4. Male in verse 5. Greaves and target in verse 6. Ephah in verse 17. Maybe the word fair in verse 18 or the word sore in verse 24. The word rehearsed in verse 31. Smote and slew in verse 35. Girded and assayed and proved in verse 39. Scrip in verse 40. Ruddy in verse 42. Staves in verse 43. Smite in verse 46. Spoiled in verse 53. And stripling in verse 56. I'm assuming that maybe these are the words that Pastor Sam's is saying that his son had trouble with. There are 21 of them. 21 words out of a chapter with nearly 1,700 words. That's 1.2%. The other 98.2%, he, his son apparently had no trouble pronouncing. So clearly, it is not every other word that gave this young man a problem. But you see, this is one of the arguments that those who attack the King James Bible like to use. These old words that nobody uses anymore. In his book, Defending the King James Bible, by the way, if you don't have it, I want to put in a couple of plugs for the Christian bookstore tonight. If you don't have that book, you ought to go to the Christian bookstore and get it. They will appreciate your business. Um, 
But in his book, he mentions a list that is published by the Trinitarian Bible Society in London. And it lists 618 unfamiliar words in the King James Bible. And it gives a a definition of them. Think about it for just a minute. 618 words out of 791,328 in the King James Bible. That is 0.08%. So that means that 99.92% of the words in the King James Bible are familiar words. And remember, the overall readability of those 791,328 words is fifth grade, six months. It's all the education that you need. All Pastor Sam's needed to do is buy his son a strong concordance and teach him. Teach him how to use that amazing study tool. I think about my daddy often. Had a great impact on my life. But of all the things my my daddy did for me, one of the greatest things he did was to give me a strong concordance and teach me how to use it. But now if Mr. Sams didn't want to do that, maybe his son isn't quite old enough for that, what he could do is buy his son the defined King James Bible. By the way, get it at the Christian bookstore. In this Bible, Dr. Waite defines every one of the words that we mentioned earlier. The word array means military order or battle formation. A cubit is one and a half feet. A span is about nine inches. So you learn that Goliath was nine feet, four inches tall. The word male is flexible body armor composed of small overlapping metal rings, loops of chain or scales. Greaves is leg armor that covers from ankle to knee. Target is a small shield, especially a round one. It's a buckler. Array. Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Array is a military order or a battle formation. Ephah. It's an ancient Hebrew unit of dry measure. About eight gallons or 36 liters. Fair is that which is carried. It's luggage, it's baggage. The word um, sore in verse 24, it means exceedingly. And we can go on through this chapter. The word smote means to strike or hit hard. It means to attack, destroy, or kill. Slew means killed. Girded 
means fastened or secured with a belt or band. Assayed means to attempt or try. Proved means to test. Scrip is a wallet. It's a small bag or satchel. And what's interesting, and this is something that is good to teach your children. We try to point it out um, from time to time in, in messages. But it's amazing how many times when you come across a word in the King James Bible, you think, I don't know about what that word means. Well, it tells you in the verse. In verse 40. He took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even a scrip. Well, you don't have to go look the word scrip up. It's a shepherd's bag. Staves in, in verse 43. That's uh, staff or poles. The word um, hasted. Kids ought to be able to figure out what that word means. It means hurried. The word ruddy, the word ruddy means reddish in a healthy way. And, and uh, the word stripling is one as thin as a strip. It's, it's a word that refers to a youth or a young person. But Again, in, in verse 56, when Saul says, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is, you can figure out what that word means. And every one of these words, I want you to think about this. Every one of these words is translated from the traditional Masoretic Hebrew Old Testament text. They are the original Hebrew Words translated into English. You want to read the original Hebrew? This is it. This is it. This is why the psalmist could say in Psalm 119, Psalm 119 is the psalm of the word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 100, I understand more than the ancients. All of these scholars... You can understand more because I keep. That word means to watch, to guard. It means to guard with fidelity, with devotion and loyalty, not with questioning and criticism and doubt. God is not in the business of scratching itching ears. He's not in the business of accommodating critical tongues of His Word. But he'll always respond to an honest heart that wants to know. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. And again, let me just say, Christmas is coming. And if you're looking for a Christmas gift for your son or daughter, your grandchildren, there's no finer gift that you could give them than the defined King James Bible, available, available at the Christian bookstore up on Broad Street. Because in this defined King James Bible, Dr. Waite defines all of these unfamiliar words. And please note that term, unfamiliar. 
They aren't wrong words. They're part of every word of God that is pure. Folks, the problem is not the words. The problem is us not wanting to take the time to learn and expand our vocabulary. Talk about a word a day. You can get it on your computer or on your smartphone, the word of the day. How about getting it from the word of God? New words that you may not have known the meaning of. That's our problem. And so for 21 words in this chapter, for 618 words out of 791,328 in the King James Bible, And again, these words that we're talking about are not added or changed. They've been faithfully translated out of the Hebrew Masoretic text and the Textus Receptus. The King King James translators faithfully followed the command of the Word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2, it's just one example. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. And the reason that God says that is in the rest of that verse. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord which I command you. This verse right here, and there are others that we could look at, but this verse right here goes right to the heart of what we've been talking about in John chapter 8, uh, 31 and 32. If ye continue in my word, folks, how can you continue in his word If the Bible that you have in your hand and the Bible that is being preached from in the pulpit has been added to and diminished from and changed. As we've mentioned from Dr. Waite's book, the difference between the Westcott and Hort Greek text that underlies all of these modern versions and the Textus Receptus Greek text from which the King James Bible is translated. The difference amounts to 10,000 words, 10,000 Greek words that have been added or subtracted or changed. So how can you continue in his word from any of these new modern versions? You can't. You can't. By the way, That's Satan's purpose, isn't it? And yet this man, for 21 words in this chapter, and 618 words out of all of the words in the King James Bible, has taught his children to reject the King James Bible. He's taught his church to reject the King James Bible. And he's going around the country teaching as many churches as he can, as many churches as will have him. He's going around teaching them how to transition away from the Word of God, the King James Bible. 
Can you imagine standing before the Lord one day and that having been your ministry? And this is in what we know as Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches. Mostly, I would say, uh, independent Baptist churches. Why? Why those? Kent used to say that independent Baptists are doing the greatest volume of work for the Lord of anybody else in this country. And those are the churches that are being attacked. This, this man, this is the churches he's going to. Is it any wonder that we no longer know the truth? Is it any wonder that we're losing our freedom? This man is leading people into the false teaching that the King James Bible is too hard to understand. It needs to be updated. It needs to be brought into the 21st century so that it can be relevant to the world that is now, the world that we're living in now. It's no coincidence that this philosophy that began with Westcott and Hort, this philosophy that's permeated all of these new versions of the Bible, It's no coincidence that this very philosophy has crept into the modern view of our founding documents. When you read the writings of our founders, whether it's the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the Federalist Papers or Madison's notes on the Constitutional Convention, Something that strikes you is that they read a whole lot like the King James Bible. And it's like this because this book was the most quoted in the writings of the founders of this nation. Remember what Newsweek concluded in 1982. Newsweek, that bastion of conservative fundamentalism. They said the Bible is the founding document of this nation. The Bible is the founding document of this nation. They're right. You know, the stop clock that's right twice a day. They're, they're right about that. And the Bible, they didn't say this, but the Bible that they're talking about is the King James Bible. I've told you before, 10, 12 years ago, we took the kids up to Raleigh to see an exhibit from Mount Vernon about George Washington. And in one of the cases, they had his Bible. And I just, I couldn't stand it. I took a picture of it so that I could enlarge it after I took the picture so I could see what kind of Bible did George Washington have? Guess what? It was the King James Bible. So, this book is the reason that the founding documents of this country read to a great extent the way they do. Now, with that in mind, I want to read you something that Woodrow Wilson said in a speech on July the 4th, 1914. He was at Independence Hall. I came across this, this uh, quote in Mark Levin's new book, uh, The Democrat Party Hates America. I wish he'd tell us how he really feels. Um, but this is what Democrat Woodrow Wilson said. 
There is nothing in the declaration for us unless we can translate it into the terms of our own conditions and of our own lives. We must reduce it to what the lawyers call a bill of particulars. It contains a bill of particulars. But the bill of particulars of 1776, if we would keep it alive, we must fill it with a bill of particulars of the year 1914. So Woodrow Wilson rejects the declaration as it's written. It needs to be modernized is what he's saying. I believe that this is the philosophy behind all of these modern versions of the Bible. And it's believed, whether they would verbalize it or not, it's believed by those that promote them. If I may, I'd like to paraphrase Woodrow Wilson. There's nothing in the King James Bible for us unless we can translate it into the terms of our own conditions, and of our own lives. We must reduce it to what the lawyers call a bill of particulars. It contains a bill of particulars, but the bill of particulars of 1611. If we would keep it alive, we must fill it with a bill of particulars of the year 2021. And that is exactly what is happening in our country. And these Bibles, this philosophy, is filling the churches of this nation. Frederick Douglass, a slave, he was a slave in Maryland. He escaped slavery. And he became a spokesman for abolition. He supported the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, interestingly enough. But he said something that applies here. I, I came across it recently. He said, there is no such thing as new truth. Think about that. There's no such thing as new truth. Error might be old or new, but truth is as old as the universe. He's right. Psalm 119 and verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Folks, this is the truth, the word of God, the King James Bible the inspired, preserved, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And we've left it. And we've left it. The churches of this nation have left it. And we're suffering the consequences of it. We're losing our freedom. Who's fighting back against it? We're the voices that are fighting back. Not, I'm not talking about in the political arena. Where are the voices of the churches? The Lord Jesus said, If ye continue in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.
Father, we thank you for having a few moments tonight to consider these things. And we pray that you would help us to stand for your word. To never go along with the popular notions of the day. If you don't come, there will be new leadership in this church one day. And we pray, Father, that it would be the same leadership that believes the same book that has been preached and stood for in this church since its founding. We pray that we would never change. We pray that we would never turn to the right hand or to the left. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Two ninety two will be our closing song tonight. Two ninety two as we stand together and sing. <clears throat>
George Schofield, would you dismiss us, please? Father, we are very grateful and thankful for the opportunity to be able to come tonight and hear your word. Um, It's a very sad thing to hear uh, someone who's supposed to be a pastor would come out and try to just transition their church transition their church from the beloved King James to these versions that are just filled with error. I just thank you, Lord, for uh, Pastor Garrison taking the time and studying and doing the research to share these things and teach them to us, that we might be aware, that we might know and go and spread the word ourselves and be on the guard for these things. I thank you, Lord, for uh, Pastor Garrison and other men that study thy word and uh, take the time to uh, share it with us, Lord, and teach it to us. I do pray, Lord, that you might bless them and their families. Uh, Lord, I do pray, Lord, that you bless the the needs of those uh, in the main prayer request uh, in this church and just pray that you might meet those needs according to thy will. Just pray now that you might Help us to go from this place, um, change from, change uh, more since we've been here than when we first came. And I just pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I never have been able to figure out why. West Cotton Board. Why people.